brand out there, not just to the world, to customers, but also to help your partnership so that your Google AEs or whatnot see, right? Not just that noise, but the brand that you've built a deeper integration and that you've been able to help ex-customer with solving specific solution. Welcome to SaaS Connect, the SaaS Partnership Podcast, brought to you by the Cloud Software Association. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue-generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast, and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. Welcome back to SaaS Connect Online. I'm Andrew Porter. I'm with Paraveda, and I'm delighted to be your host today on the SaaS Connect One-on-One podcast. Today, I've invited Sophie Zignani, who is the head of cloud business development at Hazelcast. We're here today to talk about tips and strategies for partnering with cloud providers. Just a reminder, we try to get to your questions you know, throughout this talk, so please fire away in the chat section below. One more bit of housekeeping before we get started here is please, if you have not already, check out Cloud Software Association at cloudsoftwareassociation.com. Join their free Slack community with over 3,000 partnership pros like Sophie and myself. And also, don't forget to register for the upcoming SaaS Connect conference coming up April 19th and 20th in San Francisco. Speaking of San Francisco, Sophie, that's your hometown. Welcome. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. So I'm Sophie Zugnoni. I've been working in the SaaS space for almost 10 years. Actually, before that, I used to work with Andrew at Paraveda Solutions. And then after that, I've transitioned into working at ISVs. So you'll be hearing that perspective on my side. So I've worked at Snowflake, Equinix, TigerCraft, and I'm now at Hazelcast. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Sophie. Yeah, and one other sort of fun tidbit is that, yeah, Sophie and I did work together at Parveda. She was actually the very first external hire in partnerships at Parveda way back in 2017. So I think there's a lot of really interesting things that we'll be able to talk through today crossing over from that SI and consulting side, which is where Parveda is, as well as where you've landed within the ISV and technology space. Before we really dig into the world of cloud partnerships, though, maybe Sophie, you know, I'm always curious because I've had an interesting journey getting into the world of partnerships. How did you land in this space as well? We don't exactly graduate from college with a degree in alliance or partnership management. That's a great question. So I actually started my career as a high school teacher. I used to teach French in high school, and then I transitioned into the technology space, first in the world of project management, working for a company that was a reseller. So reselling Dell, Cisco, HPE, and then there was a services side where they needed project management. And then I moved on into the cloud space when cloud was still just beginning about 10 years ago when one of the smaller resellers out there wanted to build a cloud practice. So when I started that role, it actually became more of a product manager role, building solutions, building a product for a company. But because it was a cloud product that needed some cloud slash alliance management there, and that's how I really accidentally found that field because, like you said, we don't graduate from college thinking that we're going to go into partnerships. What about you, Andrew? Because I I know when we started working together, you were an engineering manager. So how did you pivot from being an engineering manager into a purely partnership role? Yeah, thanks for asking. I came at it, like you mentioned, from the computer science side. 
I grew up as a developer in the data warehouse space and in the application development space. As time moved on, I started to sort of realize that the projects that we were building for customers were so heavily involved in, you know, with companies like Microsoft and AWS. And, you know, I had that sort of natural curiosity to figure out, you know, what is it like on the business side? And so when I sort of raised my head up a little bit, realized that there's a ton of really interesting collaboration going on with partnerships, with clients, and with the cloud providers as well. So it's super interesting. I'd love to hear even frankly from the folks in the chat, if you're willing to share, you know, how did you get your start in partnerships? Because I think that there's got to be so many interesting stories there. Well, let's jump in. Sophie, I know you've been doing this for the better half of 10 years, but thinking back, you know, and also through the perspective of the folks we have on the call, what are some of the first things that you would recommend doing as a new alliances manager? How would you go ahead and formulate your strategy? Because I think, you know, to your point earlier, a lot of people may think of alliances managers and partnerships as, you know, we're really scheduling events and we're going to happy hours and we're schmoozing, but I think there's a lot more there. So what would you recommend there? That is so funny. Somebody actually asked me that question. It's like, is that what you guys do in partnership? You just go to happy hours and then smile and then drink Not and then complaining, but <laughs> it's a great question because I'm actually started in your role at, at Hazelcast. So just like any new role, you come in and you start assessing where the, the lay of the land. So I would approach that with say three or four different angles. So the first one, I would say, where is the company in terms of readiness to co-sell? So And co-selling itself is a huge topic on its own. So align that with the strategy. So what does your pipeline look like? What is your, where do you need to get to in terms of revenue? What percentage of that revenue would you account that to direct versus partnership? And then on the ISV side, in addition to co-selling, you also have to look at products. If you think about the technology space, what is the better together story? What's in it for the ISV to partner? What's in it for the CSP? And how can you have a joint messaging that ultimately helps the customer? Because at the end of the day, we are here to help our customers. So what does that message look like? And then what are the opportunities to really deeply integrate the product line as natively as possible? And then build a partnership because, again, depending on your space you're in, whether data analytics or security or whatnot, you have to analyze what that is that you can integrate in terms of product. And then in terms of marketing, there are also opportunities to co-market. That's kind of part of your overall go-to-market strategy, but also look at what you can physically do. And then the last angle I would say would be alignment with the entire organization because you can't go alone, right? You've got to have alignment with your executives. A lot of that also involves some educating because not everybody knows what partnership says. So your role is really constantly educating the leadership, the sales team, and everybody else around you about what it is that you need to accomplish to reach the goals, but also to set that alignment that you also need resources. Do you have a partner sales engineer support supporting you? Do you have a partner marketing person? And so on. You know, another topic also is looking at the readiness of the partner ops group, because all of this would need to be tracked in terms of partner ops, because when you think about co-setting, there are incentives in place, right? There are incentives attached to marketplace deals, there are incentives attached to co-setting, spiffs or whatnot, and all of that needs to be measured. That's awesome. And, and let's unpack all of that. I would also say that from my experience working, you know, with CSPs like AWS, market AWS, Microsoft and GCP that, 
there's definitely a fundamental there that below even the strategy and to your point, which is they have so much structure already in place and you sort of have to one, recognize that, right? So there's all these tierings, you know, if you're familiar with the Microsoft landscape, they've recently moved away from sort of what we call precious metals, silver, gold specialization, but AWS has their competency programs, what we would call maybe a differentiation program, as well as, you know, other co-investment vehicles as well. A lot of what I had to do early on is, you know, sort of recognizing where is their saturation, right? So we're in consulting and data and analytics, where could we find our niche? And because it's just so broad, right? The Microsoft partner ecosystem has something like 640,000 plus partners registered. I mean, that's massive. AWS has something like 100,000 is what they announced at reInvent. So it's really navigating those partner programs as well. And then to your point, you know, defining your strategy there. So there is a little bit of research that you have to do as well. But yeah, Sophie, let's unpack that stuff. Right. So on the SI side, it's the same thing, right? Whether you're, I remember yes. when I started Parvita, we were just a partner and then we had to move up to advanced consulting partner and then premier consulting partner and so on and getting the certifications needed. So yes, that programmatic aspect, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely a growth curve there. Like when you were the first external hire to come in and, and launch this thing, you know, we've since scaled to where we have full-time partner operations managers. We have partner marketing dotted lines over the marketing team. We've got content writers. It becomes this full-fledged program, you know, that you have to sort of navigate through. So it's also like to see where Pravita is today, because back then we started with AWS, some Microsoft, some GCP, but now you've got saw on social media on LinkedIn, all of the certifications you got and healthcare with Azure and so on. So it has grown quite a bit. So congratulations to you. And each of them have a different strategy, right? Like they may all be CSPs, but they all operate very, very differently in terms of, to your point, incentives, understanding the roles and like what an account team even looks like. And I think we can dig into that here in a second, but you know, what does that core account team even look like? Who should you prioritize? What roles? How do you message it? It's all very nuanced. So let's dig into co-selling here for a second, right? So it's working early in the sales cycle with those account teams, which, you know, I can say is absolutely critical for us as a systems integrator, as a consulting partner, where really we're focused on an alignment matrix where there's so many different roles. You've got specialist orgs, you've got account teams, solution architects, you know, all that type of thing where we're constantly sort of juggling that. How do you go about co-selling with an ISV? So again, co-selling is a very big topic. So depending on the technology, the ISV, so I would start with pipeline. So you look at your pipeline, you understand, and then also your existing case studies. So for instance, if your solution works great in financial services or in retail or whatever specific segment, if you're setting to the line of business versus if you're setting to the infrastructure side, you've got to narrow that down and make it very, very simple. So if you think about the AEs at the CSP side, they've got, like you mentioned, thousands of ISVs out there and SIs. So you really need to simplify it for them that the joint messaging is we work better together if we target these specific accounts and this specific use case, and this is how we win together. So, and then there's also a lot of give and take in the beginning when you just started, no one has heard about you. So there's a lot of giving in the sense that you start engaging to the account, you work with the AE, and then you basically 
develop that relationship. At the end of the day, they don't know you. And then in terms of developing trust, it's really doing what you say that you're going to be doing, right? So if you're already in an account and then you speak with the AE, you tell them that here's where you are, here are the buyers, here's your strategy, here's the sales cycle, this is the amount of the license amount, whatnot. And then as progresses, keep them up to date. And at the end of the day, you might feel like, oh, I did all of the work. They didn't really do anything. But again, you're still building that branding and that relationship. There will be opportunities for expansion, but this is where also you navigate, right? So once you get that win, then you expand into additional accounts and on the leadership side, right? You meet with sales leaders, industry leads and whatnot. And then it's really yeah. a game of expansion. Yeah. And I think, you know, a great story was how you went, you know, your first role at Parveda was going after machine learning. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all, but, you know, that seems like a, a, a yes. perfect example. Yes, of I can talk about that. So back in the early days of cloud, because there are trends, there are industry trends. And in the early days of cloud adoption, you hear about migration, you hear about workload migration. Let's migrate everything from your data center into the cloud. And you hear about lift and shift or versus refactoring and all of that. And then that time, what was really hot was the DevOps space. If you're a services company and you've got DevOps engineers and you're going to modernize and transform the organization, you know, you hear buzzwords like digital transformation and so on, right? Those were the early days. And then as cloud computing evolves and as now I'm moving to the data space, as enterprises are capturing enormous amount of data and compute is cheap, storage is cheap. If you think about machine learning, it's been around since the 1950s. You had mathematicians back then, right? With all those algorithms. But why did machine learning only started to get really, really hot in the last five years is really thanks to the advance of cloud computing, right? That allows that to happen. So then you have all of these ISVs in the data analytics space that just popped, right? And thrived, like the snowflake of the world and data breaks or whatnot. So for me, it was kind of capitalizing that trend. At that time, Amazon, AWS had just started a machine learning competency. Again, it's tied. Before that, you had the DevOps competency, you had security, you had migration competency. Machine learning was just new. So Paraveda being such an awesome consulting company, working with enterprises, working on cutting edge technology, Paraveda had those wonderful stories, right? And had the skill set to work onto what we used to call the unknown unknown, Right. So specifically in machine learning, that was the opportunity to strategize. And back then, we at Parveda, we deployed to SageMaker, that's AWS's machine learning platform, into production before SageMaker even GA'd. So you can imagine the traction that we got with that, with working directly with the VP of AI back then, and then building a sales campaign with the support of the VP of AI in a few industry leads, build a campaign on how to win more stories like that. I love that story. And it speaks to your strategy for going after the unmet needs, you know, within AWS and figuring out where they're investing and how to plug in there to bring value to customers and our cloud providers as well. So love it. The only other thing, and then I'd say, let's move on to maybe, should we talk about marketplaces? The only other thing that came to mind in what you were talking through is you know, you mentioned meeting the needs and alignment with our cloud, with those individuals within our cloud providers. 
what I reflected on recently is how we've gone about structuring our internal alignment, the roles and the responsibilities, you know, who works with our partners. What we've found lately is that I notice a pattern where you'll create a partner sales manager regionally and sort of put one in the East, one in the West, one in the Central. But I'm actually a big firm believer lately that there's a lot of resiliency to come out of baking those accountabilities into existing roles, into existing account management roles, you know, CSM roles and solution architecture roles, sort of teaching them to work, you know, more effectively instead of adding another layer, because, you know, then you sort of have a little bit more, you know, I guess, resiliency there. So. I like that perspective, Andrew. I think it depends on the size of the company, right? So if you're yes. a really big ISVs, you're going to need folks that are very dedicated, more than one. You might need 20 partner sales engineers, whatnot, by region and even by specialization or whatnot. But I would say for a smaller startup, really everybody needs to be vested into the success of the partnership. So if you're a sales engineer, and you're working an account and you meet with, let's say, your AWS counterpart, you need to think about the partnership side on how could I maybe co-author a blog with this person on a customer success story, right? So a alliance manager can only do so much, right? But then you need those relationship building at different angles, the AE side, Absolutely. the engineering side. So sales engineering with the solutions architect, right? And customer engineer, right? They all have different titles, but you get the ideas and then those have different hierarchies too. So as you build those relationships, you're looking for opportunities to come in and pitch and have sales enablement sessions at their weekly meeting or monthly meeting or town hall meeting or whatever that is. You've got to build those relationships at many levels. And then, so you've got to, I call the bottom up and then also the top down approach, right? The top down approach, you've also need to get the executive alignments on your VP of sales meeting with sales lead at cloud provider or whatnot, right? So you kind of have all of those relationships and checkpoints established. Yeah, no doubt. The more touch points you have with the different roles, the better and the more effective your cloud strategy will be. So you're talking about marketplace. Shall we cover that? So Yeah, let's um, jump in. Go for it. And I only learned recently from you that on the consulting side that you can also list a offering on the cloud marketplace. So for those of you who don't know what the cloud marketplaces are, you basically, as an ISV or a consulting company, you can list a offering on the marketplace and the customer can buy that directly from the marketplace using and bidding would basically be done by the cloud provider. And then in the back end, they would pay you back minus some small percentage of revenue share, right? And that depends for each cloud provider. The benefit for the customer is that they don't have to handle another actual benefit for both, right? Is that procurement is done with the cloud provider, but they can also burn down their commit. So a lot of customers out there have a huge commit or some commit with the cloud provider. So when they buy any product in the marketplace from the ISV, they can burn down that commit. So you want to be able to leverage them. Somebody I met before said, oh, it's free money. I mean, I kind of like that term. So it's essentially free money in the sense that the customer has a budget that they can use to fund that. And then on the procurement side, it's very easy because you don't have to set up, you know, legal and contract and all that's all clicked through and it's done very quickly. 
So marketplace is huge because it's a key strategic initiative of all of the CSPs. And in fact, they have dedicated folks on the marketplace sites to work with you to drive those sales. The AEs get to burn down their quota. So we're all incentivized to drive those marketplace sales. So, but that said, it also has a heavy component in terms of the operation side. So this is why I mentioned earlier that when you're working with ISV, assess the maturity of the operations, because if you're an ISV and you have you sell software, it's all consumption-based. So that consumption would need to be measured. That reporting needs to get back to the cloud provider so that they know how much to build a customer. But, and then your contract also depends. Some have one-year contracts, three-year contracts, renewals. So if you think about all of those details, you can see how important your cloud operations person is. Yeah, that's a really good point. I can say that from the SI side, I've been pleasantly surprised with how effective Marketplace has been to sort of streamline that deal flow, to your point. I wouldn't say that it's something we've led with yet. It feels like we're getting there. But, you know, there are definitely instances where, you know, instead of having to get an MSA signed with a client, we were able to go through the marketplace because to your point, they've got an EA signed with AWS with Microsoft, and it just enables you to get in the door and you've got more people, you know, within AWS to your point compensated to help get this deal done because their quotas on the line, their commissions on the line as well. Right. It has been, like I said, a little bit more opportunistic. It actually does more to bring the partnership together. The customer already has that relationship with the cloud provider. I also want to add that just because you have your listing on the marketplace doesn't mean that the lead will come in automatically. So think of it as more as a tool to enable you to close sales faster and easier, but you still need to build your go-to-market motion, that whole co-setting that we discussed earlier. You, You have to build that play and just leverage marketplace as a tool. Just because you have it listed doesn't mean that they will come in automatically. And this is where I also want to add, if you think about partnership at scale, then this is where as you grow that partnership, how much the CSPAEs are incentivized, those are all negotiable depending on where you are of that partnership. So when you have all of that lined up, you've got even your own AEs in your own organization, how are you incentivizing your own AEs to transact via the marketplace? So you kind of have to have that strategy aligned also. How do you even track all of that? Is there anything you'd recommend in terms of sales operations? There are third-party companies out there like tackle.io, T-A-C-K-L-E.io that can help with managing Mm -hmm. listings and so on. But at the end of the day, for us, and everybody's using SFTC, right? We have a central point for all of that and working closely with your cloud engineering team to track consumption and your sales ops team. Sophie, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about product integration. What are your thoughts there? You know, when we're building solutions as a consulting partner, we're on that design and build phase. We hand it off the design build run. You know, the run will typically hand off to a customer. We're often taking different Lego blocks off the table whether that's Microsoft, GCP, AWS, and, you know, stitching them together. Product integration, you know, from a SaaS perspective is a lot different. So let's talk about that a little bit. So the answer is is going to depend on the technology stack that you're setting 
But if I am going to give the example of, of data analytics, if you look at the entire data pipeline, you've got the ingestion tools out there into a data warehouse and every single cloud provider has a data warehouse. And then you look at the BI tools or AIML, you know, as an application leveraging the data in the data warehouse. So depending on what technology a company is building, you need to think about how, if, for example, if you, let's talk about Google and BigQuery, for example. So if you're better to get a story is to enable Google BigQuery to grow for the customer because you're ingesting data into BigQuery, then how do you make that as smooth as possible? So whether you're building connectors, that's one, that's on the data flow itself. But then think about a partnership where you think about how your company can be discovered. So if you can get to a point where Google is willing to have your product listed and discoverable, so I use the word discoverability, your product can be discovered from the Google Cloud Console directly, then that's a big win, right? And whether the sales happens through Marketplace or whatnot, that's just, again, Marketplace is just an avenue, right, for procurement. But if it can be discovered from the console, then you've got a tighter a stronger partnership there, right? So that's just an example. And then along with that, opportunities to write joint blogs together, white paper and whatnot. So that's another opportunity to co-market and get your brand out there, not just to the world, to customers, but also to help your partnership so that your Google AEs or whatnot see, right? Not just that noise, but the brand that you've built a deeper integration and that you've been able to help ex-customer with solving specific solution. I think that's a great point. Are there any other specific metrics that come to mind for measuring how effective or those product integrations are? You know, for example, I know that there's a lot of roles out there, you know, within Google and AWS and Microsoft in a business development role, maybe attached to Microsoft Azure, you know, functions or something like that. And if you were to build a product integration with Hazelcast or, you know, something like that. Is there a metric that you sort of anchored on there? ISV, consumption is the biggest metric. So you can look at adoption, but you can also look at consumption. Did you have a chance to to look at the questions, Andrew? Yeah, it's a good one. And I think it's geared towards you. So Yuri asks, we've primarily been mentioning the three public cloud providers for cloud and workload provisions. Other than the available initial landing footprint, public cloud is starting to become special or just even more commoditized in terms of the services offered. Instead of sorting through tens of thousands of partner programs of these big cloud providers, what are the core partnership metrics that you would say 80% of the MSPs or ISVs would love in a cloud infrastructure provider? So my answer to that is, yes, it is a very crowded space. And yes, you can think of any technology product that you can come up with the cloud provider already has a version of it, right? So you have to think about your differentiator. So how you're different, be very crystal clear about that. And at the end of the day, there are so many accounts out there. Like the market is so huge that as an ISV or SI, you're working directly with specific line of business or your solution or your product is providing value to that customer, right? So from that perspective alone, there is going to be some desire from the CSP to partner with you because 
again, it's all going back to as long as you provide value to customer, you can be very specific what that is and how it differentiates from the CSP that you're going to be able to partner, right? So differentiator, bringing value, and really also be willing to do the hard work, right? So those I would say will be the main takeaway. So differentiate, do the hard work, and be specific on the value that you provide to the line of business. I totally agree with that, Sophie. And also, Yuri, to your question, I see the same thing, right? There are so many different programs out there that are big and small, right? There's things as big as like AWS Map or Microsoft AMP, you know, and then there's little things like little POCs and funding buckets. Some of them have great access to customers and others are trying to generate referrals out of partners and you know, neither is wrong. You know, it's just, there's different levers you can pull. The suggestion I would offer is create your own business case that aligns to your existing company and bring that to the partner and say, this is our opportunity on the table you know, is there somebody within a BD group at, you know, Google Cloud that is willing to invest here? You know, this is what we're bringing to the table. I mean, just being proactive and creative in finding that niche, because they're always looking for new ideas. You've totally owned the end-to-end process, right? If, you know, you're creating a business case and a target market and a set of accounts that you want to go after together, like you're making their job easy. It makes it so much easier for them to bring money to the table for you. I love Ivan's answer. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, you know, so. I have not give an example of how he was able to do just that, use those relationships, turn those into case studies, those success stories, and then that drove new business. Oh, that's fantastic. Awesome. Well, I'm just checking on time here. We're at about 40 minutes in. Should we wrap this up, Sophie, with talking a little bit about executive alignment and what that looks like for you yes. as you know, leading ISV cloud partnerships? Sure. I covered that a little bit earlier that... Yeah. You really need a team to help you succeed. You can't go alone. So in your organization, make sure that your sales leads are aligned with the mission. Be direct with them on what that looks like. So it's a long game for set the expectation, but also be clear in terms of if we do X, Y, Z and we reach these milestones, this is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to see. And then I got the advice from somebody else about documenting everything. I love the advice because it seems that on the outside, right, what they see us doing is just running a whole bunch of meetings. And because the long game, it always seems like, okay, where's the impact? Just attending meetings and then there's nothing that came out of that, right? So documenting your strategy, setting expectations on what you need. And alignment on what milestones you'll be able to accomplish based on the resources that you have is very important. But that also requires yeah. not just conversation, but educating, right? Because a lot of people still don't know how it's done, right? Like everybody hears about wonderful success stories of, you know, say MongoDB and Google Cloud or, you know, Palo Alto Networks being partner of the year, you know, so all that sounds amazing, but what does it take to get there to be sure not to document that, but to be constantly aligned like every month, every two mm-hmm. months and so on. If you only have, to your point around educating, if you only have a quarterly touch point with the West region leadership at Microsoft for XYZ, they're going to have tons of those meetings. And this is not unique to partnerships. It's a matter of condensing and consolidating the messaging, but also right. understanding how those reports are cut, right? It's so important 
organizations are constantly changing what their structures look like, who creates the reports, what tooling, you know, what metrics, you know, trying to find that competitive advantage. But understanding, it's as simple as understanding how the reports are going to be cut. When are they going to be cut? Did you do your nuts and bolts around attribution correctly with their partner portals? All of those fundamentals can make or break it. How did they change the segmentation? Right. One of the things we've been challenged with is understanding how, you know, oh, the breaking off industry business units. Oh, you know, commercial and enterprise, like really, what do your executives even care about? Because there could be a gap there in terms of where you think you're proving value to them, but you know, maybe something switched, you know, underneath the hood. So also want to add in terms of executive alignment, also have that strategic alignment with your CSP. So have a QBR with your CSP. See how not just how you're doing, but if they're also putting their part of the bargain, right? And if it comes to a point where you're having a hard conversation with your cloud provider that they say, okay, this is great, but let's just meet in the field. We're not really going to do anything strategic with you. Then in a way, as a partner, you also need to be agile and maybe make the decision that maybe I should spend more time with another CSP and not this one, right? So know that there are three major cloud providers out there, right? Not just one and competition is a good thing. So the general guideline is follow where your market is. I forgot to mention competition, right? Like where the competition is, but that's another topic on its own, right? Where you can strategically align, say with Google, because they might not have a product line that's competing with you or whatnot, right? Or if it's more complementary or with Azure or whatnot, right? So you've, you've got to think about all of that and be ready to pivot if the partnership is not going the way you want it to go. Great points. All right. I think we're nearing the end here, Sophie. Is there anything else we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk through in terms of working with the cloud providers? And then also folks on the line still, please do drop in any last questions you have. We'd love to answer them. I would say it's a really, really big, big topic. And yes. we've covered so many very quickly, right, at a high level. So the big picture is there. Sometimes the how can be even more difficult, right? As you navigate, you just have to go out there and see how it goes. But feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. And it's a very small world and happy to collaborate and help those of you who are new in the space. Well, Sophie, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Congratulations on the new role at Hazelcast. All the best there. And again, thank you to CSA for hosting us. It looks like we do have a question. How do you measure the success of your partner program? And what metrics do you typically use to evaluate its effectiveness? Starting a new partner program for a SaaS has been exciting. We now have key partners aligning with us, but would like to measure success together. Any ideas? apart from new business? On the SaaS side, I really like to take it from a product angle because you're really marrying two products together and the two products together become a solution, right? So I would look into the metrics on how do you measure the success of your product adoption. So if that gets tied to revenue directly, then great, you can use revenue as a metric. But Sometimes, especially in the SaaS space, if your product is still early and you had just built it, then revenue might not be clear. It's not the best indicator, right? But more on product adoption. Yeah. So that's and, that. And, and what about on, yeah, the, on, the, on the 
SI side, I, you know, some organizations, I think we yeah. measure in terms of like how many joint case studies did you publish, things like that, right? That's exactly what I was going to ask, Sophie, is how do like those means-based activities like blog posts and webinars that you've run together or accelerators that you've launched the solution space or in the marketplace, right? Like how many of those, you know, whatever the sort of department is that owns, you know, whether that's marketing or something like that ahead of revenue to your point. From an SI perspective, net new logos are hard to come by. They take a lot of investment. So we often look at the health of our partnership in terms of, yes, it's, it's touch points with individuals, right? Like what does our relationship map look like? What is the trust? How many people are active within our communities? But from a revenue standpoint, it's about the growth within a given account. We're really anchored on a couple dozen strategic accounts together and looking at what the growth looks like within those accounts together in terms of health of our partnership, which is kind of more of a customer success angle, I guess, is my point there. Does the question about pointers for account mapping with SaaS companies or agencies, it seems to be different between SaaS and SaaS as compared to SaaS and agency. I actually don't know what they meant by agency versus SaaS. Agency is more like a consulting or an SI partner, I would say, like services oriented versus subscription oriented. So it's an interesting one. And Sophie, I'm probably speaking for you in the SaaS and ISV world, but the volumes of opportunities and of accounts is so much broader in that space. You know, you have very rich startup, SMB, mid-market. There's a very formal sales structure where you've got lots of, you know, sales teams directly working there where account mapping is a volume game as well. Within an agency, you know, lots of agencies are pretty small, a couple people, a couple dozen people, right? Like think about an SI. So like not every company, you know, agencies are expensive. So are SIs in, in that sense. And so I think that there's, you know, the question around account mapping, yes, it absolutely happens, but account mapping within consulting and SI and agencies, it's a little bit more focused is typically what I've noticed. There's only going to be a couple of, you know, there's not that volume game. And so there is a little bit of a disconnect there. Any thoughts there on account mapping between? I, I actually don't believe that much in account mapping. I've gone through so many account mapping. I would rather focus on the granularity versus, you know, just dumping your SFTC pipeline and then get another one and see where you could align. For me, it's more... And maybe because at the ISVs I've been working on, the solutions are very targeted by use case and then the specific buyer personas or whatnot. So we would actually start with a very smaller list of very large enterprises versus going very horizontal. So I can understand if you're at the ISV where your product is very horizontal, that mapping might work. But at the end of the day, somebody needs to put in the initial work, which is pitching, right? And no one can do that better as an ISV. So there is one last question about what's one key lesson you've learned that you wish you knew when you started? Do you want to answer first, Andrew? What did you wish you knew? What's one thing I wish I knew when I started? I mean, for me, I don't come from a sales background or a marketing background. So I was learning this thing the strategy, you know, how a marketing organization, I mean, so much of the partnership is content creation, defining that joint value proposition that Sophie's talked about. So for me, it was a huge learning curve to really plug into how that sales and marketing world works. I had tended to be focused on 
the customer's business problem and the engineering approach that we had to take to build it, you know, with those Lego blocks. So yeah, for me, it was how that world works was a huge learning curve for me that I'm still navigating today. What do you think? So for me, in the early days, it felt that as a tiny ISV or not tiny, but as an ISV or as a SI among hundreds of them, thousands of them, that it feels like you have no chance. And when you're working with PDM, it felt like you're just one of so many. I actually, throughout the years, took another perspective where they actually really, really want you to be successful. So if you engage with them in the perspective that they wouldn't have a job if you didn't exist, like if you, the partner, didn't exist, they wouldn't have a job. If you think about that, if you take that perspective, then you're going to see that you're going to want to think that they want to collaborate with you. I guess what I'm saying is a lot of blockers out there comes from ourselves. But if you set your mindset that it's going to be a great partnership and they're in there to succeed with you, as long as you're willing to put in the hard work, then it's going to be a great ride. And a lot of the people that you partner with actually end up being friends and whatnot, right, throughout the years. Because, again, I feel that it's a very a small community not where not a lot of people understand what we're doing, right, or have an appreciation yeah. for it. I think it's a really good point. It reminded me of because reading it's called the death of competition and it's all about ecosystems. And, you know, the argument is that, you know, it's no longer business to business competition. It's ecosystem, ecosystem competition. And what that means is that for those cloud providers that are at the center of those ecosystems, they absolutely, to your point, need companies like Paravata, companies like Hazelcast to buy in. They absolutely need, it's critical for them in order for them to succeed, you know, in their world. So really great point. Great. I love that you brought the word ecosystem because I just realized you mentioned the word ecosystem this entire talk. And it is so critical, right? If you want to scale, you want to think big and partnering with the cloud provider doesn't mean just partnering with the cloud provider, but also getting your reach to the hundreds of partners that they have in that ecosystem, right? So yeah. Absolutely. It's an ecosystem play. We almost got away with not saying ecosystem. About partnerships. (laughs) Well done there, Andrew. Any last questions? Thank you. This is a really great conversation. So really appreciate you all sticking with us through. I didn't think we'd make it through the hour. So really great conversation. Well, thank you again. Thanks for joining. Just a quick bit of housekeeping as we close this out. Again, don't forget to register for SAS Connect, the conference coming up in April. I'll be there. So we'd love to see you all and meet you all. And, you know, with that, again, Sophie, congrats on your new role, head of cloud business development at Hazelcast and all the best. Thanks for sharing. Thank your you, insights. Andrew. And thanks everyone for joining us today. All right. Take care, everybody. If you like this and want more great insights on software partnerships, you've got to rate, like, and subscribe and join us at thecloudsoftwareassociation.com. Thank you, as always, to our podcast producers, content allies. They help B2B companies like you launch revenue generating podcasts. They'll schedule interviews, produce the podcast and promote it. Check them out at contentallies.com. We'll see you on the next episode.